You're listening to Gender, A Wider Lens. I'm Stella O'Malley, a psychotherapist in Ireland. And I'm Sasha Ayad, an adolescent therapist in the United States. Since 2016, my practice has been exclusively dedicated to gender-questioning teens and families impacted by gender dysphoria. I also work with gender-questioning teenagers, and I facilitated support meetings for families and individuals who've been impacted by gender issues. We're curious about the concept of gender and how it's unfolding in the wider culture. Join us as we look at gender through a wider lens. Hi, Stella, we're back. Oh, we're back in town. The girls are back in town. Yeah. <laughs> it feels great to be back. Oh, my yeah. God. And when we were finishing uh, our last season, I was wrung out. I was like, bye, yeah. Sasha. <laughs> I'm so weak. And now I'm like back in with loads of ideas. Oh, my God. If ever, you know, the mental health lesson of take a break sometimes. Yeah. Do you a world of good? My God, this break yes. is great. For sure, for sure. I, I'm so curious about, I mean, I know a little bit about how you spent your time, but I bet our audience is. So maybe we can talk about what did you do? First of all, it's not like we were off of work, right? God, no. But we <laughs> had a break from the podcast and we got little kind of pieces of, of respite, I guess. Yeah. Well, as you know, I went to America and uh, the land of dreams, of hope and dreams. <laughs> and we did the we did the retreat. We'll talk about that later. I um I've been doing quite a lot. You know, I I'm definitely getting to a place where I have to start choosing more judiciously what to do, because every single day I'm being asked really interesting, really interesting concepts and things, projects, initiatives, and I want to do them all. I remember yeah. Oliver Berkman in his brilliant book, 4,000 Weeks, he said, you have to say no to things you like, because if you try to do it all, you'll just get wrung out. So I am having a, a very much a moment of understanding that I need to learn to be more judicious in what I say yes to, uh, having said yes to too many things. But I did go to France with the kids, went to Paris with my sister and her boy and my two kids. And my, my girl is 14, so she brought with her another 14-year-old to soften the <laughs> soften the blow. And that was a very good idea. And it was a very last-minute idea. She kind of texted me, my daughter, a couple of days before the uh, we were due to go. And she said, uh, I don't want to go on your silly holiday. And I was like, my silly holiday? <laughs> my silly holiday? <laughs> it's costing me a fortune. <laughs> Oh, my God. <laughs> I was bringing my kids to Paris. And then I said, I actually, after I had my fit, I said, no, actually, I'll, I'll get some to go with her. I said, do you want to bring a friend? And she said, yeah, brilliant. It's going to be the best time ever. Isn't oh, that my amazing? God. It went from a stupid yeah. holiday that she yeah. doesn't want to go on to the best time ever. In, in a half an hour. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it was. It was very intense, very, very busy and really good. Just really good. Really good. Just being in a different place with your kids and yeah. watching your kids kind of navigate the new world, the different world. Like, you know, it really is so good to get away. What did you do, Sasha? <laughs> well, I, um, I also am just kind of being more mindful about my time and making sure that, you know, I save energy for things that really, really matter. And so there's a couple of big things, I guess, that I'm working on right now. Um, I've, I've been having a bit of a, a, a writing crisis, as you know, because, you know, anyone who's listening, Stella is a prolific writer. She's written several books. 
She writes all the time for publications and like, Stella, you describe it as your happy place. You're like, oh, my kids know when I'm writing, I'm in my happy place. And for me, writing is quite the opposite or it has been, right? And I've been trying to figure out why. I mean, I even posted this on Twitter, like, I hate writing. Does anyone have tips for me? And I got all kinds of responses. And then I found a book Uh called Becoming an Academic Writer by Patricia Goodson. And I've been reading it. And the the number one thing that I think for me is relevant here is that she said, there's a certain mindset that people have, and it's a kind of black and white mindset. It's fixed. Either people are good writers or they're not good writers. But in reality, writing is a skill and a habit that you have to develop. And it's not like you're going to sit down and your draft number one is going to be the most perfect thing. It's actually a slow, iterative process. And she has incredible strategies and tips and exercises. And so anybody who knows me knows I I love kind of like self-improvement projects. So if I can frame this as a skill I'm developing, it's easy. It's a piece of yeah. cake. And so I've been writing every single day. It's like now part of my daily routine. You know, I have a crazy Whoa. schedule where everything is regimented. I do, I do, I do. But I'm actually really enjoying the process. And I'm thrilled because... I would like to include more writing projects in my work. So work-wise, that's something I've been really spending my energy on. And and I've shifted the way I think about it. And it's been tremendously helpful. So that's another kind of um, testament to the power of mindset, which is really weird for me how drastic that shifts things. I agree with everything you said about writing. There's some brilliant books out there. I know Stephen King wrote a beautiful book about writing. Oh, he did a really lovely book, and um, so did Stephen Pinker. Isn't he the psychologist? He wrote yeah, a lovely yeah. book. And uh, there's so many lovely books on writing that are lovely to read, if you follow me, as well as 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 I don't know the one you're talking about, but I do know your writing. And every time I've read it, I thought. Isn't it strange that she finds it hard because she's clearly very good at it? And anybody who's listening to this podcast will think, isn't it strange because she's cl- you, Sasha, are clearly so verbally brilliant. It feels oh. shocking. You know, I'll tell it feels you what shocking happens. that that's what, yeah, you must. What happens sort of- is I, I sit down and my mind goes in a, it's almost like I, I imagine a spider web and I'm in the middle and my brain has branched out to a thousand directions that I could take a written piece. And then I get overwhelmed and stuck. And so I think it's the psychological burden of writing much more than I think I'm a terrible writer. It's the process of writing is so taxing mentally and psychologically and intellectually. And I think I need more structure and specifically with writing that involves referencing sources Uh, Patricia Goodson in this book talks about how like if you're doing research for a piece, you can highlight and use sticky notes and, you know, put words in the margins, but then you have a stack of resources that are disorganized. And so she has a system of like how to take notes while you're doing your research Mm -hmm. in a spreadsheet so that you can easily reference it and you don't have to dig through a 300 page book to look for that single quote. And so for me, you know, I like systems. So for me, if I'm going to embark on another academic project, I'm going to try to use this matrix spreadsheet idea, which will hopefully cut out that overwhelming feeling of, 
oh, I remember reading something, but where yeah. did I see that? You know, oh, that process oh, is hellish. Well, I, I use, I'm much simpler minded than you. I use a fairly simple that like if I, you know, when I get the, the reference, I, I just stick it in an end note. Like I press end note and then I put the link in and there yeah. it is. You know what I mean? I don't have matrixes and stuff like that. Now, far be it for me to get in the way of you in a spreadsheet. <laughs> you know not to get in the way of my spreadsheet. <laughs> me and Sasha, I think yeah. the two of us, we've, we've, we've had such an extraordinary year and a bit together, year and a half really, of realizing how different we are. And then we, we're we ex- we're astonishingly different. Like we'd be hilarious. Talk about the odd couple. If we marry, if we married, we'd be a disaster. <laughs> we'd be married on Monday, divorced by Tuesday. But like, um, we have, uh, we land very similar places psychologically. Yeah. We land incredibly. Incredible. Yeah. yeah it's incredible. Yeah. 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 So here, we, and here we are. So, I mean, the rest of my time, my, my mom came to visit and I, I've, updated some decor in my office so it's been nice i'm trying to create an environment which is conducive to uh calm mindful writing so i'm really yes. really focused on this i'm really trying to build uh the context for writing That's lovely. so here i am yeah w- one other thing from my, my my new guru oliver berkman was he said uh because i think he's great he said, do do the thing you want to do first in the day. You know what I mean? Basically, you'll always have emails to answer. You'll always have difficult things to do. Yeah. Do the thing you want to do first. If you want to be an artist, do art first. If you want to be a writer, yeah. do art right. Yeah. Do that. It's so true. It's so true. You'll it's get so to true. the other stuff because you have to. But yes. If you, don't, if you try and try and finish, if you try and finish everything in a world that is never finished, you'll never get to your thing. So yeah, you and you won't have the energy for those kind of passion-driven uh, activities. You need yeah. that morning time. I totally agree. I, I love that. And, of course, while you were traveling to America, I so happened to meet you in America <laughs> <laughs> for well, our first retreat. Do, do you think we should explain what is Wider Lens first? Yeah. I know we're missing yeah. 3.33.33% of us, but what uh-huh. is Wider Lens Consulting to just kind of launch it well, into the world it, here? We are missing a very vital third, which would be the lovely Lisa Marciano, but she's she's very much part of us because we, we have our very active WhatsApp group. So we never <laughs> open. And the three of us chat a lot during the day. It's funny because there's an eight hour difference between me and you and between Lisa's in the middle. And um, we started it how long ago? A year ago? And the idea uh-huh. was to kind of bring a kind of a, a kind of a, a, a nuanced and a complex and an understanding about gender to different people, be it parents or organizations or schools. And our our first big event really was this retreat. And it yes. was so moving and profound. Yes. And really, really, I really, really was impacted by it. It was extraordinary. It was at the end of March and we didn't know. We, I kind of knew it was going to be amazing, but I didn't know how it would look. I didn't know what yeah. it was like. Yeah. So what we did was we advertised a few months beforehand. Might you be? We just out to parents. Might you be interested in a retreat um, somewhere near Washington, um, in in and around these dates? Show your interest, and immediately there was interest. It was kind of obvious yes. interest. 
And so we thought we'd take the plunge. I think we were nervous, weren't we? We wanted to get it right. We, we yeah. knew these parents needed help and we wanted to get it right. Definitely. I know for myself, I, I was pretty nervous in that I've never done anything like this. You know, you're very used to giving a lot of talks and lectures, which our retreat was not a series of lectures. So we can kind of talk about what it actually was. But I I am not. I'm not really that's not my comfort zone. And so yeah. spending, you know, three or four days in one building with a set of parents and um, just kind of witnessing and holding space for all of the complexity and the emotions and the questions and the intense desire to help their children. I was concerned that I wouldn't be able to deliver and also just, wow, what an intense kind of interpersonal experience that would be. And it was, and it was also one of the most moving, incredible experiences of my professional life. I felt like, wow, we are creating space for and witnessing the absolutely most profound uh, set of experiences. And we're watching this bizarre psychological experiment on children unfolding. And for some reason, the entire medical profession is completely neglecting their job. Of course, we we know so many brilliant physicians who are speaking up about this, but as a whole, we, we just kept hearing story after story of parents taking their very distressed, complicated children to doctors and psychologists and having those professionals absolutely make the most brash, irresponsible and bizarre recommendations. Yeah, it was shocking. It started, let's say, on the Sunday afternoon and we had a registration and people were trickling in. Oh, yes. And that was it was so moving right from the beginning. We were just the three of us, myself, you and Lisa Marciano. We were nervous. Just, you know, let's let's see how this goes. And we had uh, our clipboards at yeah, the registration yeah, table yeah. and we were just and ready to check people almost, in. Almost immediately, like parents came in and they turned to us and they they knew us. And they, yeah. they named our podcast so often it would make your head spin. And I was really moved. They kind of Stella, Sasha, Lisa, they they knew us and they they, they felt yeah. so warm towards us. There was such warmth. And I really I suppose I you know, I really recognized the the value of our podcast. I really recognized wow, we're people are literally listening and it's it's really helping them. Helping yes. them in a very when I say literally listening, they're listening deeply. They're yes, really yes, listening. yes. Right. And, and so that that was just I found that it's such a lovely moment when they came in and there was so much it felt like meeting old friends. That's what it yeah. felt like. And they knew yeah. us. And they were just yeah. so warm towards us. I thought that was beautiful. And then did we did we have something to eat? And then we went for that because we had a phenomenal experience on the Sunday evening that I'll, yes. I'll never forget. Right. Yeah. yeah. So the Sunday evening, we kind of we had about 35 parents there, if I'm remembering correctly. Roughly, and yeah. we thought it was important as the first time that everybody got together in the same room, that everyone just have a chance to tell their story. Yeah. And it became clear, first of all, that there was 
interestingly, a huge variety of experiences represented there. Yeah. Very different backgrounds of these parents, all united in the concern that we love our kids so much. Something unusual is happening to our kid and we can't find any reasonable help. I mean, that was like the uniting theme in my eyes. Yeah. And they shared just everybody's situation, how their kid became, you know, struggling with gender, how they got wrapped up in this thing. Some parents had children who had medicalized already, sometimes rather rapidly after taking on a new identity. And then other parents who were seven years in just still kind of holding this tension, exhausted. I mean, there were so many different experiences. Um, And it was so powerful, the kind of emotional output, especially because for a lot of parents, they had literally never told anybody what was going on. So this was the first time they felt safe enough to say what they honestly felt and what they were concerned about. And it felt very special, almost holy, that they were each getting a chance to say their piece. And we knew we'd ran on. We knew that we'd, we'd kind of designated a smaller amount. And then it was quite obvious something special is happening here. Something yeah. very special is happening here. And only a fool would intrude upon this. We, we just need to let this evolve as each yes. parent told their story. And each story was, was each story was a, a kind of a, a tragedy in and of itself. It was a novel of its own. If you follow me, it had its own start, middle and end. So many parents were so hard on themselves, self-recriminating, talking about their input and the love these parents had for their children and their their genuine, authentic desire to do right by the kid. And that they just genuinely didn't think that medical transition would be the answer to this specific problem. That these yeah. kids, like you said, a multitude of different diagnoses, a multitude of issues, and being dismissed, being dismissed so badly and being treated so badly by so many. And you know, when the first person said it, it's like, okay, that's awful. Second person, they went into their story, oh, that that's awful. Third, fourth, then myself and yourself started looking at each other, going, what, what the hell is going on? Like, yeah. The, yeah. These parents are being treated so badly by so many different professionals who who really were there to help. That felt very frightening. And then it moved into a, a, a bigger place where these parents need to say this story. They've, ne- Like you said, they've never said it before. And this is a, a really special occasion where parents are meeting. And, you know, I, I'm there from Ireland. And I'm very conscious of the political sensitivities and in America, but I remember at one stage, one person saying there were some sort of redneck, you know, from some area, and the other person said, "Oh, I'm the liberal from the same area," and then laughed at yeah. each other. It was a complete, yeah. and it really reminded me of, let's say, Northern Ireland politics, where you know you go to a place and we we move beyond our politics. It's like we both love our parents, or both love our children, and honestly, right. you do you, I do me, and they, there was such genuine warmth between people who really were like very different politically yes. and very people different who socially. never would have interacted like you, they never would have just met by happenstance in their daily lives they would have walked away from each other they would they would yeah. not have been in the same milieu at all and they were totally warm i, I thought there was so much warmth from the parents to each other as they all realized as it emerged 
that Sunday night. It emerged yeah. that this had been done to their families, that their family yeah. had had the, the biggest crime any of them had was maybe having vulnerable children, which is not a crime. You, you know what I mean? That something yeah. awful was taking place on a grand scale to these naive kids. And it, it and felt fright, it felt chilling. Yes, it was chilling. I remember glancing over at you and Lisa with like eyes just bulging out of my head. Like it's unbelievable. And just for context, you know, I, I want to be very mindful not to give any kind of identifying information. But, you know, what we're talking about here is like kids who show up at a doctor or a therapist with really serious, complicated problems. And I was kind of tracking themes that I heard as as we listened. And I think seven or eight families described that it was, in fact, the therapist who first suggested that maybe this kid is gender dysphoric or maybe this kid is trans or perhaps the kid had decided they were trans really like a week, a week before. And the therapist was without doing any kind of background information or assessment, uh, you know, recommending social transition or medical transition, like very, very quickly. So that is the type of, you know, shocking scandal, I think that you and I are talking about just, and we, we hear these stories all the time, but it's like a different thing to be in the same place and to hear parent after parent after parent after parent tell the same story. And you just think this is going down in the history books. This is unbelievably scary. You're so right. There's a couple of things that bring up for me. First of all, I remember when the first parent said and the therapist brought it up, there was no gender issues and the therapist brought it up. And I kind of raised my eyebrows like, wow, that's that's mad. Wow. And then, uh, you know, we continued on. And then this only had a bit of a group of maybe 35 parents. Then another parent brought it up and said the same thing. And I thought, whoa, that, that's extraordinary. Then a third parent. Then a fourth yeah, parent. Yeah. I was like, oh, my God. And like yeah. you say, we counted it. It was about seven or eight, um, as far as I remember, who said, yeah, the therapist was the first to bring it up. And that 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 is not right. <laughs> no matter what's going on, that's not right. But I remember yeah. the first time I did uh, the first GDSN meeting. This would be kind of, you know, COVID 2020, March 2020. And I, I it was ver- it was similar and different where everybody went around the room and each gave their story. And I had that feeling, I'm just bang, bang, the same story. My naive kid, lots of time online, very lost, lots of diagnosis. And then the next parent, my naive kid, lots of diagnosis online. And we went around and I remember I went down afterwards and I was reeling. I was actually kind of dizzy. And I went down to my husband downstairs by the fire going, I've just been through the most most intense experience of my life. I, I can't yeah. believe what's happening. And that's where, like you say, this feeling of something massive on a large scale is taking place and nobody's aware of it because they're not meeting. And then to be in that room in physicality two years later, which was March 2022, yeah. because COVID got in the way of us meeting before then, and to be in the physicality. And like the Zoom and they, those GDSM meetings, they are very effective and they have their power, but we all know they lose something. Of course they do. Of course. It's just like a friendship or, um, you know, having sex online. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's great, but <laughs> there's better ways. And um, the physicality of meeting, of being in the room and everybody, there's a something, you know, you'd nearly get uh, religious about it, but there's a feeling of, 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 of communion that we all yes. started to get it 
that the, mm-hmm. the parents, we all started to get it and the, the feelings of recriminating against the parents, the self-recrimination felt yes. inappropriate as yes. each parent kept on speaking because it was like, it's quite clearly not you. It's quite clearly something else is going on here. It's quite clearly yeah. there's a zeitgeist happening that's really impacting a certain type of child. Yes, for sure. And, you know, I I, I hear all the time, you know, because I've, in addition to, you know, these types of retreats and meetings, I've been doing these phone consults for many years now. And it's incredible because sometimes you hear the, the mother's guilt is just unbelievable. And it comes in every form. So I'll have a mother one day say to me, God, you know, if only I had not gone to work and I had been a stay-at-home mom who would have had better attachment and this never would have happened. And then later that week, I could talk to another mom that said, you know, she saw me just be nothing but a stay-at-home mom and maybe she didn't have a positive role model. And if only I had gone to work, this wouldn't have happened. And I, I always say, let's cut yourself some slack here because I don't think it's that simple and there's no formula to it. And, you know, for... For these parents, they're so obviously deeply devoted to doing everything they can to best help their children. And that's not to say that parents are all perfect, right? Because in any human dynamic relationship, there are things that people do might hurt my feelings or you hurt your kids feelings sometimes. But but these are overall parents that when you think of the way the medical professionals have treated them, it's so disproportionate like these parents should be given the benefit of the doubt all the time because these are the kinds of parents who are thoughtful and mindful and have made every decision with a lot of care and yet that they're treated as though they are bad people who are trying to hinder their child's well-being and that they don't understand anything about their child or that they're ignorant or that I mean just every possible kind of disparaging thing you can think So that is the disproportionality of the way they were treated by professionals and the kinds of parents that they are was absolutely striking. It's really palpable in that room. And what I, I kept on thinking was, imagine your most vulnerable time in your life, the time when you're most at sea, you're most distressed and your most precious thing, which is your child, is unhappy and dangerously unhappy. And you turn for help. You you could yeah. not be at your at yeah, your lowest yeah. ebb, and you turn for help. And that person negates everything you 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 you're saying about your child, yeah. and they give you something else. They give you something that just doesn't seem right. It's so hard, and that's where people, you know, did the parent affirm? Did the parent not affirm? And I'm like, oh my god, I yeah. you know, it's it's one, it's six of one and half a dozen of the other because it's like. I could see why you would affirm and I could see why you wouldn't affirm. And I'm not, you know, some of them said, and I affirmed and I wish I hadn't affirmed and la, 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 la. Some of them said, I didn't affirm. And that's where I made my big mistake. I should have affirmed. And they were arriving, sitting in the same room in pretty much the same state. Yeah, that's right. There was real healing in that because it was like you could have done cartwheels. You could have affirmed all the way. Exactly. Yeah. It, it didn't yeah. feel like it didn't feel like that was the divider in no, in, in whether this worked out or not. And it did feel to me that one one very strong common denominator. And I hate to say it because I am a psychotherapist and I I do feel a lack of faith in my my industry these days more than I have felt before, to be honest. But um, it did feel that the people 
that these families went to in their time of need didn't help them. Yeah. Ultimately, that, that yeah. was the, the yeah. most important issue yeah. of if I was to say what was one common theme, that was the one that leapt out at us. Yeah. And I think this is a, an issue in the broader sense, too. I, I was at a an alumni event for uh, my fiance's high school and we were talking to one of his friends there and his friend, when he learned that I worked in mental health, said, oh, I think what you do is so important. You know, I have a couple of sons, they're teenagers and their therapist has really helped them. And I said, well, I'm glad you found somebody because I do think there's actually a bit of a kind of a crisis in mental health right now. And he said, well, look, I'll be honest. He got quiet. He said, we cycled through several therapists before we found someone helpful. And they're not dealing with gender issues, right? So I think this is a wow. broader challenge right now, even if you have a kid with more typical teenage issues. Like I think there was divorce in that family, like normal things. Parents are having a hard time finding effective therapists. Um, but I want to go back to the retreat because even though there was a lot of in, intense, painful emotions, I have to say there was also something incredibly like life affirming about it because the parents really bonded and they shared a lot of laughs. And there were so many like real friendships that I know were built out of that time together. And there's something about, you know, the wall we all have up when we hold a secret that we don't think people will understand and it prevents us from connecting. So if you're in a space with other people who totally understand and you don't have to explain yourself and you don't have to justify your caution, something happens to where you feel that receptivity in that relationship and real connection can really start to happen. And I think these parents um, started building relationships that are going to be really meaningful in their lives and a real sense of support. And I, I've can, you know, kept in touch with some of the parents through other projects that I have. And they said, you know, it was amazing to be understood and to oh. feel like I'm not alone anymore. I'm not by myself dealing with this. There's other parents who get it. And of course, it's not like you go back home and all the conflicts or tension in the family are fully resolved, but you know, there's a support system of other parents who you can bounce ideas off of or talk with, or just know that they're there. So there was something really powerful too, and in, in a very positive way, in addition to the catharsis and the sharing of difficult feelings, I think there were some really meaningful connections built. Yeah. I, I really felt that, you know, I often wonder what it is that, you know, I bring to, being a therapist and you know empathy is 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 one thing and understanding when you're understood when somebody gets it that's it it's like yeah. the big the big work has been done they get it yeah. they understand yeah. it and i think not only did we understand these parents but they understood each other and so yeah. we all kind of met in a place where of of understanding and that felt really psychologically important. It felt really like this understanding will carry people through their darkest days. And to go back to what we were talking about with therapy, I sometimes think, you know, that guy that said we cycle through a few therapists. It's when when you're not being understood, move on. Like if, if, if your therapist doesn't understand you, if you feel yeah. you're not understood. It's, yeah. it's very demoralizing. 
It's actually very, very um, distressing. And then little groups formed within these parents, which was nice. There was like, I remember at one stage we were out with s'mores and we were, I don't know, <laughs> yes, we, we made s'mores on a, on a campfire. It was really yeah. fun. And it was lovely. And I think of that night. Anyway, one of the nights I came in and I saw all the parents of the boys had just oh, naturally yeah. gravitated towards each other and were just chatting in one room, just yeah. chatting and shooting the breeze. And I just thought that is so important. It's yeah. so important that they meet each other. They meet each other in person. They find each other in their own way. Yeah. And they, they learn to kind of exchange just information, exchange kind of insight. There's a, a lot of people can offer insight that, you know, you just wouldn't think of unless you spoke yeah. to somebody else who was in the same position. So so that that to me was really nice to see the groups. We did divide some of the sessions into age groups as well. Mm -hmm. And that was interesting. And I think in the future, we'll also because it was really noticeable that there was some people who had been in it for years. And the exhaustion, utter exhaustion that came yeah. out of some of those parents. Like that felt like, oh, how do you keep going? We hope you're enjoying this episode of our podcast. We work very hard to maintain high quality content for this show. And we're grateful to Rhyme and Genspect for supporting us. Rhyme, or Rethink Identity Medicine Ethics, is a non-profit organization dedicated to improving long-term care for gender-variant individuals. Visit rethinkime.org to learn more. And Genspect is an international alliance of parents and professional groups whose aim is to advocate for parents of gender-questioning children and young people. If you'd like to become a patron, you'll have access to weekly transcripts and special Q&As, and you can join our listener community. Now back to the show. There's so many specific needs, and, and yeah, to just kind of provide some context, you know, we split every morning, we did a large plenary session where Lisa, Stella, and I kind of had a couple topics in mind that we spoke about. And then we kind of invited parents to share if they have relevant experiences or thoughts around this. Then we had sessions that were devoted to Q&A, and these were completely open sessions. You could ask any question about anything. And then we had small groups where we divided parents up by the age of their child. And you're right. I think we, we also, as the facilitators, learned a lot about the needs. And I think you're correct. How long your kid has been questioning their gender is a, a big one. And I think the needs of parents who have boys are just so incredibly different. Yeah. And we had to kind of build some impromptu sessions for parents of boys because we recognized how kind of specific and different and, and um, I don't know, just particular their son's experiences were and their needs were. And it is so profoundly different from the girls and the way the girl gender dysphoria shows up. So these are kind of things that we have on our radar as we build more retreats like this in the future. But we we learned a lot and it was um, it was really interesting. I, I wanted to touch on a couple more themes. I'm wondering if there's specific ones that you remember, because I'm thinking about how many parents said uh, she or he has a sibling that takes the air out of the room. Yeah, And our kid has kind of been living in the shadows of his sibling or her sibling for many years. And that was interesting. I don't think I expected that. Yeah. But a lot of sibling stuff. That was really, I think the sibling aspect is fascinating. And what I, I, 
I kind you know when you have got a background knowledge and then it's it's crystallized in yes. the room. That's what that one was because it's like yeah. I heard that quite often that the yeah. other sibling had a lot of needs or the the other sibling had something that created an awful lot of attention to the other sibling. And yeah. this was uh it's that Walt Whitman had that phrase your yawp. This was their kind of their cry. Mm. Their kind of here I am. Their kind of announcement. I always say to parents, it's like, I can have a crisis too, mom, check this out. You know, like I, I can be the star yeah. of the show or I can have a mental health problem. Ah, Yeah. The yop. Yeah. That's a different yeah. kind of yop. Yeah. But that, that's exactly what it is. And that, that was a surprise for me because I knew it, but I didn't know it. It's the same as knowing that it's a, it's a scandal and it's an unfolding yeah. medical scandal. I knew it. And then you're in the room and you know it and you know it on a much deeper level. And yeah. you think, oh, oh, my God, this needs to be attended to within the family realm. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't think it gets much attention within the family realm. It becomes very, yeah. very individualistic. Something about gender, it's, it's very individual. And it doesn't seem to go with the idea of this is a family situation mm -hmm. here. And I don't think many people, I think Anastasis Piliadis is, is doing family, but you don't hear very many family therapy oriented mm -hmm. situations around mm -hmm. gender. And I'd love to see more. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. The parental guilt, you touched on that earlier. That was a big theme. Um, we had parents, you know, and, and look, some of this is understandable too, right? Because I think all parents are always trying to retroactively problem solve. But parents wondering, like, is it the, the food that I ate? Is it the kind of care I got or didn't get when I was pregnant? I mean, there were so many micro granular analyses going on of every single decision. Oh, way back to to before conception, what I took and what I what I what I ate during pregnancy and what I did during pregnancy you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Right back to that point. And I, I, I have a, you know, a good, good thorough knowledge of, of parental guilt myself. And it, <laughs> Experiential <laughs> knowledge. Very good working knowledge of it. And I, uh, I, it's just awful because the world has colluded to add to parental guilt. And yet, honestly, I don't think parents have ever been better. Like if you compare the other <laughs> generations of parents, you know what I mean? That like we're doing a good deal better than our own parents. And yet we we are all party to this. I find it really off-putting. I, I found it very off-putting when my children were young. We all collude that we're all crap parents together. There's this kind of an awful mm. lot of social media pages and like ha 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 and wine o'clock and all this sort of silly stuff. Mm. And it's all like we're all blithering idiots making a mess out of our of our children and we're all in it together and it's like wow well, well I've never seen better parents generationally yeah I've never yeah. Seen, you know like if we give it in the yeah. larger sense so this excessive parental guilt which oh my god was crystallized within the gender sense in, in the retreat and it, it feels I would love if we all collectively rejected this parental guilt ah we're good enough you know that was it Donald Winnicott? You know what I mean? The good enough parent. We're good enough. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? It's 
And the irony is that if you're a parent asking yourself if you're a good enough parent, most likely that means you're quite conscientious about your parenting. And ironically, I mean, sadly, I I know in different settings I've worked in and, and even, you know, in the gender world, sometimes you meet families and you're like, oh, this parent could really use uh, more mindfulness around their parenting, but those aren't parents wondering about that question, you know? So, so it's, it's almost like it should be a comforting indicator to you. If you're worried about your parenting, you're probably doing a really good job. If you're reading parenting books or if you're going to parenting (laughs) retreats, Retreats. you're you're probably in the top 5% in fairness, (laughs) in your flawed way, because we're all so flawed. We're also flawed and it's so not fair. To, like we're, we're just humans and we bring our flaws to our parenting as much as we bring anything else. It, it made me sad to see how much parental guilt there was in the parent in, in the retreat. But it made me glad that I did feel actual healing was taking yeah. place. I could see in the days yeah. as they evolved that the parental guilt reduced. And a feeling yes. of something awful has happened, has been done to our families, started to become more prominent in the in the yes. in the general feeling. And that felt this is really powerful. This is we're doing something really I just felt really good about my work as such, about like this yeah. is a good thing to be involved in. And another nice counterpoint to that parental guilt was these parents really clearly admired one another because there were some, I mean, the parents were all pretty incredible. They were interesting, intelligent, wonderful people. And so when you're sitting there, you realize, oh, I'm amongst fantastic people. And so I can't possibly be that bad. You know, when it's that aloneness that, that, opens the door for all of these self-directed questions like well why is this happening to our family what have i done yeah but then you go sit in a room with 34 other really wonderful people who are clearly great parents and this happened to them so then you know you might think oh this could have happened to anyone yeah it's not my fault exactly a dawning realization Came. Yeah. A dawning yes. realization. There's no doubt about it. That like, hang on, if she's really good and she's really good, and actually he's very good and he's very engaged and she's very good. Well, hang on a second. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe I'm, I'm not utter crap after all. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 yeah. I, I, I do think that there's a, a a learning in being with other people and realizing that we're all flawed and that's okay. I, I think that's very liberating. And I think when we started talking you know in the different whether it was the plenary sessions or the smaller groups there was again a dawning over the few days of the move from yeah you can be obsessed with your child and there comes a time where you have to think about yourself yes bring it back to you because you actually have spent 98 percent of the last year thinking about them and that's unbalanced and actually has moved into an unhelpful obsession and that kind yeah. of that came out strong by the by the second or third day then. And I mean we we also tailored a lot of our small groups to address that very question because ROGD parents tend to feel solely responsible, particularly because they, they realize they're not gonna get much help from therapists and doctors. So they have this sole burden of trying to be everything to their child, be their therapist, be their friend, be their confidant, be their you know, wise leader, all these things. And there, there is a serious requirement to 
um, let go and trust the process. Even if you're terrified and you know your kid's vulnerable, at some point you have to let go and trust that my kid has a foundation. I don't know what's going to happen, but they're going to have to work their way through this. And so we focused a lot of our uh, sessions, especially for teens who are a bit older, around this issue of letting go. I mean, there were a lot of specific themes that we incorporated into our conversations that I think were really, really helpful. Um, yeah. And, I, I, you know, self-care and just kind of re reconnecting with your own sense of being a human, like the, the ROGD parent identity can become just as overwhelming as the trans identity. Right. So we talked about expanding your own sense of identity, all these really fantastic themes. Yeah. Because it, it it's so easy to lose yourself when when your child has lost themselves because you follow them and they're yes. lost in the wilderness and then you have followed them into the wilderness and yeah you know you you kind of have to I remember one parent it wasn't at the retreat but it was such a lovely image it's always stuck with me she said I'm trying to be the lighthouse and they're out in the stormy seas but it's very easy to get into the boat and get into the stormy seas yeah. <laughs> chasing after them I know yeah. that's a great image it is it is yeah. it's a lovely image I did see that um I did feel that, you know, some of these children had already medicalized and some of them will medicalize. And yeah, that's OK. It, it seems to be very likely to happen. And we're going to have to give give room to that as a society. And we're going to have to give room for it's quite clearly going to happen. You know what I mean? Just statistically, it was it was kind of and I felt that there was an acceptance among the parents about that that I don't think would have been there on Sunday afternoon. I think it emerged yeah, over the totally, days. Yeah, totally. which which I think and is really good. You know? It's it's necessary because parents were kind of grappling with this question of like, well, you know, I may not think this is best for my kid, but what if my kid decides to live this way? Or what if my kid decides to go down this road? How can I stay present as a parent? And like, what kind of parent do I want to be? Do we yeah. want to be locked in some sort of power struggle about this? Or am I going to meet my kid where they're at? And so, you know, th this was an amazing retreat because it was not just, it was not just parents ranting about things they don't like, which of course there was space for that. But there was also a deliberate focus on how do I grow myself as a parent so I can meet my family's situation? Because this is the reality, right? Yeah. Um, reality is very important and we may not like where things are going, but we have to show up for yeah. the people in our lives. And I, I, I was really impressed with parents ability to hold that tension I mean that was one of our sessions was about holding the tension between you personally thinking there's danger in this path and also accepting the reality that this is where my adult child is for example so how do we meet them um yeah it was and, really powerful and an acceptance that you know your, your children you know they they come through you but they aren't you and ultimately they move away from you and um, I, I do think the parents of the older children were, were coming to that. And yeah. it, it's inevitable. It's inevitable. And, you know, the, the feeling of, of the enmeshment of the parents of the younger children versus the kind of we've got to move forward. Yeah. Of the parents of the older. That was very educational for me. That was like, yeah, this this is a process yeah. that's been going on for thousands of years. 
You know what I mean? The and this is developmental yeah. process, yeah. not only of the individual, but yeah. of the family. Yeah. Roles change and yeah. your relationships with people change and with yourself changes. And, and when, you're, when you're a parent of an eight-year-old, all you are is a parent of an eight-year-old. Well, that's yes, how I feel. Yes. But then when you're a parent of a 28-year-old, you know, you're a person. You're your own person. Yeah. <laughs> There's lots of other things to you. And I think yeah. something about the parenting of today has made us just walking parents. You say we're not a walking gender identity. Some of us fall into we're just a parent. I'm just a parent. That's what I am. I'm a parent. I'm a living, talking, walking parent. And it's like, actually, we need to we need to build about that. We need to build beyond that. Uh, I love that, Stella, because that makes me think about, I don't want to get off on a tangent, but it does make me think about the activist parents of like little, little kids. Their whole platform is built around, I'm a trans mom, you know, yeah. trans kids mom. And you're so right how identity can trap us in very dangerous ways. Yeah. I mean, another thing I've been doing in my time off is like reconnecting with the Tao Te Ching, which is the ancient Chinese text, which is really about <laughs> about non-action and disconnection and separating from identity. And this has been a a text that has been a really important part of my kind of philosophical makeup since I was in my twenties. And I revisit it every few years and it helps me very tremendously. And so just, it's interesting for you to talk about identity because that's something that comes up a lot as I think about the Tao. Wow. Um, yeah. Well, just tell me a little bit about it. Well, the Tao Te Ching was written by whom this man who might be kind of fictional. This might be a composite text, Lao Tzu, um, something like two or three thousand years ago. It's a really old text. And it's divided into to these kind of short chapters. And it's kind of written like poetry. And it's about following the Tao, which is the way. That's what it means. And it's it's kind of hard to put into words. It's a bit esoteric, but essentially it's about the way I interpret it is that there is a natural flow to the way things work. And when we try to be too interventionist about it, it causes unnecessary friction personally, psychologically and societies and families. So it's about restraint and it's about doing less actually. I mean, I can't help but think that this is such a powerful philosophy for those struggling with gender dysphoria because the the approach seems to be try all the things, do all the things, do as much as you can, become a different person, do, do, do. do, do, do. Yeah. Yes. And and the Tao is really about non-action and it's about letting things be and accepting and, and not complacency, but... Um, I guess acceptance and contentment. So, anyway, this that, that, is a that, philosophy that, that I think me. is really powerful for I, me. I wrote a little bit about that in my first book, Cotton Wool Kids, which I I really do think I you know I brought a few of my books over to the retreat, and I, I did say it at some point that you know the book I wrote in 2015, these Cotton Wool Kids, who are very much like these are active, involved, engaged parents who are doing <laughs> with a capital yes. D. And I remember writing about that, um, I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, but the ancient wisdom of the Chinese wisdom of Wu Wai, which is kind of mm. inaction, knowing when not to act, knowing when to not. 
just not do. And yeah. it, it really felt, and I, I'm I'm as I, I'm completely as as guilty of it as as anybody else, and I'm more guilty because I wrote a book about it, so I should know better. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, the the intense drive to do for your children, whether you're driving them to music, which I will be doing later on, or whether you're um, just always they they've got a sore foot, you're fixing their foot. They're sad, you're making them smile. And it's, yeah. it's against that we've we've moved it into a place where it's against the human condition. Our children will be sad. Our children will be lonely. Our children will be. And we we in something about that, now that I've really got a much bigger understanding of gender, it feels like it's the bigger story that we have been taught a pill for every ill. We've been taught we need to fix our child's unhappiness. Yeah. And we need we need to do it yeah. on a societal level. The teachers need to do it. The doctors need to do it. The parents need to do it. And actually the human condition is filled with distress. And yes. I, I think we lost our way in the midst of it all. And somewhere along the way, the gender thing seems to be very representative of all that. I'm going to recommend a book to you called The Parents Dao De Ching, Ancient Advice for Modern Parents oh, wow. by William, William Martin. I, I wrote a newsletter um, built upon one of the chapters of his book, but I think this is right up your alley. This is what yeah. you're talking about. It's, yeah. it's really great. So let's, um, let's touch on, first of all, we're planning another retreat. Uh, we don't have, you can't register for it yet, but it's going to be at the end of November this year. End here of October. In beautiful. Isn't it? Uh, end, of end of October. Yeah, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. End of October, beginning of November. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, here in beautiful Arizona. <laughs> so we, we, we have our location. It's a secret right now, but it's quite beautiful. And, I can't um, wait. I've never been to Arizona. I can't wait. I've never it's been to Arizona. Be and it's always had this very kind of... Um, Romantic. It's such a lovely word, Arizona. And I, so that I, yeah. I've always wanted to to go there. And I think now that we've done one retreat, I really think we'll know where we're going. Yes. I think it'll be really. I really think this is. I think this is really powerful for parents. I really yeah. do. Yeah. For everybody. So we're gonna have a, a veterans retreat where <laughs> old friends from the previous retreat can come and kind of deepen their knowledge. We're gonna do more targeted, focused things, role playing, practicing things like that, and then we'll have another kind of tell your story sort of retreat with some of the foundational knowledge that we we taught in the first one. So that'll be coming up in the fall. Um, and then in terms of this season of podcasts, yeah. we have some brilliant ideas. And yeah. so I hope we can just share some of the things that we plan uh, coming up here. We got a really great idea actually from our friend Helena. She's like, why don't you do some episodes for detransitioners? And I said, oh, goodness, how have we not? <laughs> so we're going to have a, a little don't. series about detransition and also maybe trans people who feel kind of lost in their transition. Or maybe they are, are content with some aspects, but there are other parts of the transition that have been really hard and there's really nowhere to voice that. So, yeah, because quite a few detransitioners I've worked with have said, my terrible years or my terrible time was before I made the decision to detransition. It was when I was just mm -hmm. lost on, on my own at night, worrying. Yeah. And I didn't yeah. know who I was. So uh, whether or not these people detransition or not, 
I'd love to reach out to people who are unhappy in their transition and just have an episode for them just to say, yeah, here are ways yeah. that you might feel better. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it could be for sure. a variety of different ways. And as, yeah. as well as that, I think we're going to do an episode on desistance, which is in and of itself a quite a serious um, psychological event that I went through, obviously, as a kid. I'm sure everybody's sick to death of hearing about it. I'm sure <laughs> I'll give it another cycle for that session, but I won't do too much. But it is, it's a, a fascinating kind of thing to go through where you, you, you've you yes. gone all in and now you're trying to get the hell out and it's hard yeah. to get out. It's, oh, it's hard. And it's tricky for parents because sometimes they suspect their kid might be desisting. But if they ask them about it, they say they're not desisting. Mm. So there's a bit of a paradox here. And I'm sure you can totally. attest to that saving face thing. Saving face. Uh, horrified we're, we're gonna... at the idea of anybody seeing through what was happening. I just wanted to happen yeah. without anybody figuring it out. Like I... The ability like, of go be a sage on a mountain and desist there, and nobody the, can watch the you. <laughs> human brain to think two conflicting thoughts is just hilarious. I was going to yeah. kind of desist, and nobody was going to notice. Like, how, how oh. is that going to work out, Stella? Like, really? <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was in the middle of that. I thought I was in the middle of that. It's so, it's so, it's tragic where the brain leads us. It can bring us to all sorts of places. But one yeah. uh, interesting kind of state of the nation, because I'm becoming more and more and more absorbed in what is America? Who is America? What is going on, America? You know what I mean? What the As, heck is going on in America? Yeah, because I do think that uh, an awful lot of the, of, 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 of you know, American culture has come over to Europe. And we yes. get versions of it. And then when you unpick yes. it, you, you're back, you're in America going, this is where it began. And I, yeah. I, I had no idea how much countries like Ireland or the UK were impacted. Yeah. So we have a special episode with a special guest. A state of the nation. To help us yeah. unpack the state of the nation, especially with some federal uh, rule proposals and Biden taking on the trans kids issue as part of his platform. So there's a lot to unpack there. We are also going to do episodes on siblings. Parents always ask us, how do I talk to my seven-year-old about what his sister's doing? Or my, my kids are kind of colluding together against us. What do we do? So we're going to talk about siblings. And we want to revisit the topic of autism. I think oh, yeah. we gave it a first pass, but I think there are a lot of things I'd like to clarify or maybe even correct or just deepen our deepen. knowledge. So yeah, I, I really would like to do that again. And we're going to maybe try to get some special guests on for that. Mm. So we're very excited for this season. Yeah. And we'd, we'd welcome other people because parents and listeners and lots of different people do write in with suggestions and we take them on board very seriously because a lot of the suggestions are absolutely brilliant and they really yes. add to our kind of where we're going with this it does feel like we're in we're in the the new chapter of, yeah. of our podcast and uh it 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 feels really really good i'd like to do i'd like to do an episode something along the lines of the um the myths that have have grown up around gender and just oh, discuss yeah. them and just kind of just so that there was one episode that people could say, well, these are myths and this is where it's explored. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. yeah. yeah great. One. Really good. Well, we, we have a 
I like to keep everything recorded in, in my little uh, Google Drive here. And we have a 34-page document full of episode <laughs> ideas. So <laughs> please, if you send ideas our way, know that we look at them, we save all of them, but there's only so much time in a week. Yeah. So be patient yeah. with us. But we really, we really do love hearing from listeners. And if you like um, short, quick, little nuggets of wisdom, I, I hope I'm not arrogant to call us you know, delivering nuggets of wisdom. Our 15 minute Q and A's have actually covered a lot of these topics. We've yeah. done short, short episodes on these, but we want to give them a nice robust pass, including um, internalized transphobia, which uh, the Aaron's covered really well on transparency podcast. And I'd love to talk about that with you as well. So we have a lot coming up and we are so glad to be back. Yay! It's really nice to sit here and see Stella again after, it feels... you know, last time I saw you was like a hug yeah. at the retreat, right? Yeah. And then you went off. And it also feels the last time, because I'm sitting out looking at a lovely sunny day, the last time I was talking to you in, you know, podcast context, we were in winter, but certainly in Ireland, yeah. I was in winter. Yes. Like it was, it yeah. was it's amazing this six weeks has made such a difference to the yeah. world. Yeah, it feels like, just to finish, it feels like 2022 is, is turning into a pivotal year for gender. It feels a lot is going on. This is the year, really, that I think will be marked as a change A change happened. And yeah. it's an exciting time. It's a, it's a harrowing time for many people. And yes. yet I do think if you can hold on, if you're feeling lonely and lost and tired, if you can hold on, I think changes seem to be coming. Realisation, awareness seems to be coming. Thanks for joining us this week on Gender, A Wider Lens. This podcast is sponsored by Rhyme and Genspect, and listener support means a lot to us. The best way to help is to subscribe and review us on iTunes. Follow us on social media, and if you'd like to become a patron, you'll have access to weekly transcripts of the show, special Q&As, and you can join our listener community. Just go to our link tree. That's linktr.ee slash widerlenspod. Our discussions are for educational purposes only and are not intended as a substitute for mental health services.